Before the next episode of XJob Downloaded starts, I have a big favour to ask. If you've enjoyed any of our episodes so far, please can you click on the follow button on your platform. I'm on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon and YouTube. It costs nothing to follow, but makes a real difference to me as a podcast producer. Thank you. This interview is being tape recorded. My name is Paul Maleri and this is XJob Downloaded. And today I'm going to interview Faye Ford. Now, Faye is a former West Midlands police officer and she's now left the police to undertake her businesses as a wedding photographer and a travel expert, if you like. Yep. Yep. That's correct. <laughs> In and <laughs> so, Faye, where did it all begin for you? Where are you from and what was your inspiration to join the police? So I am from the West Midlands in a place called Warsaw and uh, I'm unlike quite a lot of my um, people that I used to work with, police officers, they always had a passion, always wanted to join and I had no interest at all in joining. I always wanted to travel as long as I can remember. When I was 14, um, I even wrote to, um, back in the days, they were called owners abroad looking for a job asking to be a holiday rep, if you remember them back in the day. Yeah. Um, and they told me that I could be a holiday rep when I was 21. So um, I carried on at school. Still, that's all I ever wanted to do. Um, but then I learned when I was 18 that you could actually be a holiday rep at 18, uh, but look after children. So I, I can't say I'm a, a great fan. That's never what I wanted to do. I never wanted to work with children, although I love them, should I say. Um, <laughs> I went and uh, studied and become a nursery nurse. And purely the reason why I did that is because I was desperate to go and work overseas. And when I was 19, I got my qualification. And um, and then that was it. I went and worked for, back in the day, it was called First Choice. Yep. Um, Owners abroad, then he went to first choice and I was a children's representative. And then I uh, progressed up the ladder. I became a um, a 20s rep, which is the Young and Lively programme. Um, uh, and then from there, I became a resort manager and I spent about just under eight years over there working lots of wonderful destinations. Um, the Canaries, Balearics, mainland Spain, Benidorm. He even had a time in Benidorm, which was so much fun. And then my very, very last play, placement, I was an actual elf in Lapland. An elf in I Lapland. Loved. I know, I know. Not many people have got that on their CV, have they? How did you get that um, job? It was um, it was just offered to me. They were quite um, elite kind of roles, and uh, it's a very short placement I'd never worked winter I am purely love the sunshine everywhere I worked it was always sunny um, and I just got offered it and I thought you know what why not and it was a fantastic opportunity the coldest place I've ever been to in my life minus 35 one day wow. all my eyelashes broke off all my <laughs> eyebrows broke off. it was so cold but great fun really great fun. and who was that with what was that with first choice as well yeah yeah with first choice wow so Mm, and then when I came back from there, um, things were people were getting older in the family. So I decided I'm going to come back to the UK. 
Um, and I came back to the UK thinking I needed this kind of normal kind of role. I needed to settle down. Um, and I took quite a few jobs, sales manager jobs in a gym um, for a, for um, Slimming World um, in the hopes of trying to get thin all along these. have, And then um, just one day somebody said to me, you know what, you'd make a really good police officer. And I thought, really? You know, would I really? And I thought, I'll give it a try. So they were recruiting at that particular time. Um, I'm only five foot one. And I thought there's no way whatsoever they will get, you know, I will never get in there. And um, I just kind of uh, went along and passed every stage of it and even passed my fitness test, which I was so shocked, you know. Um, and then next thing I know, I'm I'm on the beat in Hansworth over in West Midlands. Yeah, I know Hansworth, the old Smithy. Is it the old Smithy yeah. pub? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. See, yeah. I, know, I know that. Yeah, and I had a great career, 17 and a half years I spent in West Midlands Police and I, I loved it. I love the service. I love what we stand for. I'm very passionate about police officers. Um, and uh, I had a great career. So what was – but what was the highlight of being in the police service? I mean, you, you were – how old were you then? 25, 26 when you joined the police? I was nearly 30. Nearly 30. joined the police. Yeah, just gone 30, yeah. I was quite a late joiner. So you were a grown-up because back in the day – once you got to thirty, you, they wouldn't accept you. When I when I yeah. joined in eighty seven, unless you'd been in the military. Yeah, yeah. So you're That's a grown right. up was, in a in a yeah. in a in a world of you know, young and enthusiastic school leavers, or not school leavers so much, but you know younger people. Yeah, absolutely. And I um, I'm glad that I had the life experience behind me. I'm I'm not educated. I don't have any degrees. So the life experience that taught me from working abroad, uh, believe it or not, um, there were so many things that are very similar to working in the police. Yep. I dealt with lots of um, situations where people had been put in from deaths abroad to rapes to violent disorders. Um, it's what people don't see behind the scenes and it happens everywhere. <laughs> But, but happens, that's yeah. really interesting because the, the skill set, I always say that, it, you know, the transferable skills. Working as a holiday rep, you have to make those decisions. You've got to be customer focused. You've got to be yeah. IT literate. You've yeah. got to be all the things there as you would be. The only difference is that you've got a power of arrest when you when you join the police service. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's you know, you've got a code practice that you have to stick very strictly to mm. um but yeah when you're a holiday rep and you know when you're a holiday rep you you just you don't get trained for violent disorders you don't get trained to deal with rapes it's not in the manual it's just stuff that as a young 23 year old I was you know dumped in and you deal with it and but how regular were those? I mean, the violent disorders we see those on the on the TV, and I can understand the sexual offences take. But how often did they actually take place? Very often, especially working with the young on the young program. Not in Lapland; it never happened in no. Lapland. <laughs> uh, but you know, I worked in places like Benidorm and Magaluf, and it was a common occurrence. There was always some, um, you know, always something significant happening we had a large amount of people that were looking after um a large amount of staff yeah that it was 
it was literally every week we were dealing with something um, quite chaotic. And like you say, that you know, if someone passes away overseas, there's there's issues. You've got to deal with local governments. You've got to deal with the national go- government as well. Go through all the procedures out there, and console a family, undoubtedly. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And we've had uh, deaths from people jumping in the pool, uh, people becoming seriously seriously injuring um, injured from uh, fights. Then natural deaths as well and mm. also suicides oh really is you know it's yeah a real host of things that you don't hear no um about you know because you expect all oh, you know when you go abroad or oh, it's everything's just wonderful isn't it but yeah behind the scenes there's a lot going on i, I remember reading an article about a, a, a guy that worked in the hotel next to the tower of london and they had a they had a sudden death there, and they had to get the person out literally on a food tray. It was you know it was they'd killed over in in, in the corridor, and they had to get them out of the way. And um, yeah, it's quite a quite an adventure. Where was your favourite place to work overseas? Um, I really have um, got a love for Grand Canaria because I spent a large amount of time there. I was I was there for three years and. Um, I got to know all the locals, all the people, um, travelled around the island extensively. And, yeah, it's got – I really love it. It's a great place, really wonderful place to visit. Do you ever regret leaving that life? Yeah, sometimes I do. Um, I think I was young and I thought I've got to do whatever all my other friends are doing. I've got to come back, settle down. Um the days that I, you know, I, I loved my career and I've got a family and I've got a husband and I, I love all that side of things. But I also miss the um, freedom that living abroad gives you. Mm. Um, it, you know that when you go on holiday and everything's kind of a bit more positive just because the sun is shining. shining. It's very much like that when you're living over there as well. Yeah, you deal with these, all, all these horrific things, you know, that are happening and it's a real stressful job but it didn't feel like stress. It's just a different different environment. You're tired in the sunshine instead of the pouring rain. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So you've, you've joined the police. Did you go to Tally Ho or did you go to a regional training centre? I went to Wrighton. I was lucky enough oh, did you? to be one of the last intakes into Wrighton, yeah. And so um, I did most of my training there and then some at Tally Ho. Oh, God, I love Tally Ho. That's a... That's a- place has got a, a large part of my weight and uh, my heart <laughs> and i think a lot of us have got a few stories to tell about yeah. telly we, we, we certainly can't publish most of them um <laughs> so you've gone to handsworth did you specialize whilst you were in the police service yeah i did um i did quite a um i did neighborhood policing uh frontline policing just like most of us then i spent a large amount of time on the offender management team oh right and and then the last two years, I was in the restorative justice team, which I loved, and is a really underrated role within the police. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. So the offender management side is that dealing with registered sex offenders and and the like. Yeah, I touched on registered sex offenders, but my main core were um, acquisitive crime offenders, oh, mainly okay. burglars. Yeah, so I dealt a lot with um, uh, burglary suspects. And they're they're interesting people because they all do it for different reasons, don't they? Some do it for lifestyle to supply their habits. Some do it because they like to be flash and walk around in somebody else's Rolex. 
yeah yeah they are they fascinate me it fascinates fascinates me the the mind the way people do things I'm really interested uh but yeah I, I loved talking I loved finding the information out of them why they do it uh they've all got a code of conduct of themselves you know and of what they will do and what they won't do um it's quite interesting to learn but but they've all got a code of conduct but actually they're all informants because they've always got somebody to talk about they've always got a story to tell and they inadvertently drop their mates in it so it's, it is it is a fascinating world and with people won't understand what restorative justice is because it's not well publicized and when it is the public at large don't know what it means so what does that actually mean i think i think people's impressions and especially officers the they think it's this wishy-washy, um, you know, pampering the offender. And it's really not. It is probably, I worked on the offender management for eight years of my career. And the um, restorative process is probably the hardest thing I've ever seen some of the offenders go through. And I've seen offenders sit in court and get really large sentences and not bat an eyelid. Mm. And I've seen offenders sit in front of their victim and absolutely, it is so painful for them to do, so mm. embarrassed, so um, uh, life-changing for some of them as well. So the restorative process is where a, a victim is in control of um, the whole process. It is totally done for the victim, the victim in mind. It is not done to, make, to change the offender's behaviour. If it's done... Um, if that if that happens, that is fantastic. But it is done solely for the victim, and it's to help that victim have a voice. Um, when a crime happens, we all know the victim is the one that isn't heard. They have no um, say of what happens in court. They have no say of the outcome most of the times. But they all have, have an awful lot of unanswered questions. They have a lot of trauma. They have a lot of things that they want to say to the person that has caused them harm. And that's what restorative justice does. It gives that victim a voice and gives them the opportunity to have a safe environment to communicate with that person that's caused them harm. And they do restorative process for lots of different um, areas. So they can do it for uh, um, neighbourhood disputes. It's been really successful with that. Uh, bullying at school, really successful. And then all the, mo the more serious types of crime like burglary um, and also um, murders. It's been used for families to meet um, people that have been um, victims of um, murder as well. So it's used across the whole spectrum. I mean, you, you need a round of applause there because you've explained it better than anywhere else that I've read it. So... But you're quite right. I mean, the, the, let's make it clear. If somebody's been locked up for murder, they will get the opportunity to meet the family. They could still be serving, couldn't they, if they go and... Yeah. Yeah, we've done them inside prison, outside prison, um, done them in church halls, done them in police stations, wherever wherever the victim feels they want that conversation. And do you think, I mean, I'm, I'm speaking out loud here, but go back to those halcyon days of yore and when we had your community policing teams, a lot of restorative justice took place when we had coppers walking the streets. Yeah, I totally agree, yeah. You know, if you were a Bobby at Handsworth and you caught some little Herbert 
damaging something. You take them around to their mum and dad and then you take them around to the person who it's done and that person will make them clean the wall or or do or or pay their pocket money to fix the glass in the in the greenhouse, whatever it may be. But of course now we we've got a process, which I understand, but it's you know, there's there's got to be a fine balance there. And yeah. copper, coppers aren't thanked for it anyway, are they? Not when they do no. it on the street. No, not at all. And conversations are the most important part of our job. You know, difficult conversations are really hard for everybody to have. But once they've had that difficult conversation, it just it can set everybody free. It's just if, the, if those conversations aren't had, they can be carried within a person for years and years and years and cause real damage, yeah. real damage. And, and real damage on both sides. Because yeah. sometimes yeah. all we yeah. want to do sometimes is say sorry, and as the victim, we want somebody to say sorry, and mm. that and it means an awful lot. Sometimes it means more than someone getting six weeks lock up for punching yeah. punching you on the nose. And it it's not about getting apologies. It is about um, the victim answering, asking questions, and those questions most the biggest question that a victim wants to know is why. Yeah. They're not, they're not so much interested in that sorry because sorry won't even cut it for a lot of them. They, the biggest question that I found is why, why, why did you choose me? Why did you do it? What was, what was it about my house? What, why, you know, why did you think you could do this to me? And it is just to watch in that room have that conversation is probably one of the highlights of my career is to sit and see people get all that out of the system. That's fascinating. Do you think that the suspects actually believed in what they were doing? In the, um, you mean meeting the victim? Yeah. I think, um, I don't think any of them that I've ever met have realised how hard and difficult it would be Mm. to listen to some whole truths. I mean, I've had a lot of victims that have just not held back and have got everything they've been thinking about that person in the head out at them. And um, it, it has been very difficult. I think it, it has helped people change. It has helped um, some offenders. I mean, some people, we you know, have been committing crime for 20, 30 years and never have ever even met a victim in all that time so that's incredible how can you commit crime for that long and and Mm -hmm. never meet the person that you're impacting on the most yeah and all they've been is just lines read out in court when it's been to sentences Mm. and they've never had to have that face-to-face that face-to-face has been so difficult for them yeah but i i mean uh, did you ever have to sit in a room with a rape victim and the person, did did it ever go as extreme as that? Um, no. The, we um, West Midlands hired a company um, that came in and dealt with those type of offences. I'd just been trained to that level just before I did leave. Um, but personally, I, I haven't. I haven't dealt with um, a sexual offences mm. case for that severity now. Because I mean, they're all they're all personal, but when it comes to a sexual offence, the, the the personal element is so overwhelming. Yeah, that it doesn't matter how many times somebody, like say, tries to say sorry or explain why they did what they did. That must be for a victim, and and good on the victim 
if that's what they want to do, if they feel that, you know, that they need to, to do that. But, yeah, I'm not so sure. And that would always only ever be dealt with by the victim. So we would never, if an offender came to us and said, I want to meet my victim, that would never, ever happen. No. It would have to, or we wouldn't even approach the victim and have that conversation. It would only ever come if the victim had, ca- had come to us and said, I, I really need this, and then we would explore it. And and the reason being is that if if the suspect came forward, it could be another way of getting at that victim. Yeah, another it's the form same with domestic offences. They don't tend to use it for domestic offences unless the victim really, really needs it. Mm. I mean, we have done it in some cases, but they've been quite um, extreme cases, and it's what the victim needed. Um, and it took us a long time to get to that process because of the, you know, the control elements. Oh, yeah. Um, from the offender, etc. Yeah, no, it, it's all managed and it's managed really well, and it's really controlled. So, what was what was the motivation to actually leave the police service? Because you sound like you were you were enjoying the role yeah. um, because it's very fulfilling. But what was, yeah. why did you decide that enough was enough? Um, I loved the role that I was in. I'm very passionate about restorative justice. I believe in it to the core. Um, I was getting to that stage in my life where I I never wanted to get promotion. It was never for me. I never wanted to um, move up those ranks. And to be honest, I don't really agree with how some of the process is. Um, As you get more experienced within the police and people get promoted, I've seen some really bad coppers get promoted and there, there wasn't any good as police officers. So for them to go and to inspire the next generation, you know, it's heartbreaking to watch. But um, I was just, it was everything that was happening around me. I am a real positive and motivated person. Um, but the force isn't like that anymore. And I was watching lots of, colleagues become unwell and extremely unwell for what they're seeing and what they're hearing and the way that they're being treated um and things that were happening within the force i just i was losing confidence complete and utter confidence in what way um uh the pension challenge uh with the federation that was um quite heartbroken to think that the federation was meant to look after us and support us and um and didn't do that you know during that particular time um i've had colleagues that have have made genuine mistakes within the police and they have been absolutely witch hunted um and i don't believe for one minute i would you know i would ever put a foot wrong in the police i've always had an exemplary record but um, I've seen how the people were treated just by making genuine mistakes. And I thought, I just don't want to be a part of it anymore. There's got to be. I want something else. I want to, I don't want to become unwell. I want to fill my head up with positive things as opposed to, you know, really tra- trauma. It takes its toll on you, doesn't it? And yeah, it does. seeing that all the time and not being able to fix things, um, it, it does I think you have a, a lifespan and my time was coming to the end and it, I was getting to that point where if I don't move, if I don't change, I am going to be as miserable as everybody else around me. And that's not, that's not me. That's not in my, in your makeup. not in my bones. 
and it's interesting okay. that everybody is miserable. I think that the, that is lost, but people stay there because they've got the regularity of wages. Yeah. I do agree. I think that the police are very unforgiving. There are times, yeah. there are times that police officers, when they do something wrong and they do something really, really, really wrong, they need to be dealt with. But, yeah. But when they make a genuine mistake, they they come down and they're very harsh. And I think it's a point of um, some senior management flexing their muscles. Yeah. They feel that they need to do certain things in order to prove a point, you know, hold somebody up to account. And going back to your point around pro- the promotion, and I do agree, although I did get promoted, so there'll be people going, yeah, you, you're <laughs> you're one of them. But, the, and I waited a long time, but if you look at the some of the senior managers, not all of them, but some of them, they are mediocre police officers. They were mediocre as constables. They were mediocre as sergeants. And they're now mediocre as chief officers because they didn't do anything that would ever get them into any trouble whatsoever. They never take a risk. They may have managed risks within reason, but they would have been the first ones where their pocketbook was up to date, but the last one to put their hand on somebody's shoulder and say, yeah, to say you're under arrest. So I, I absolutely agree with you. I just think that, you know, modern policing promotes mediocrity because that way you, nobody's going to get into any trouble whatsoever. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And how how was it for you for, from a financial perspective? Because there's a big uh, drive around the finances around the police. They've just got a, a pay rise, what, 6% pay rise. But in real terms, I had I had years where we didn't get a penny. Yeah, absolutely. We didn't realistically get a, a pay rise for ten years. The the money was never. Um, obviously, it's really important. I've got a family, and it was probably something that probably kept me tied into the police longer than probably I, I was ready to leave. Maybe two three years ago. Um, but it it did, and it has a massive hold over you and the pension as well. But I lost my mum quite young. She was uh, uh, 50 um, when I lost my mum. And it's a really young age Mm. to somebody. But what it taught me is that, you know, tomorrow's not promised for any of us. No, it's not. It isn't. We we are literally, um, any of us, anything could happen. And without our health, we've got nothing. None of us have got anything. And... Um, I did so much thinking. Uh, uh, it was a real panic to me, leaving the police, having that dedicated wage. We needed it. You know, we didn't need it for extravagant things. We needed it to pay bills. Yeah. Um, and I got to that stage where I thought, you know, you've got to do it. If If it doesn't work out, I can go back. I can go and be a police officer. I can go and work in the control room. I could... I'll go and clean if I have to, but I'll make that money. Mm. But there's one thing I couldn't live with, and that's the regret, the the regret of not trying. Well, I, I think that's that's commendable. But you'd already started a business whilst you were in the police, hadn't you? Yeah. So I started the uh, wedding photography um, quite early on into joining. It was when I had my first child. So I started the dipping my feet into it and learning about photography 
Um, and I spent about three, four years learning, doing weddings, sometimes free of charge or just for expenses. And then the last 10 years, yeah, it, it really kicked off and I kind of found my niche. Um, and I was shooting about 20 weddings a year, uh, which doesn't seem like an awful lot of work, but it is when you think of the editing. Yeah. Um, and then obviously COVID, that just wiped my business out completely. We're having 25 weddings booked in and then I went down for th- to three. Um, but what that did was with postpone- postponements, it built on the year that I was intending to leave the place. So it, I knew that I'd got some income providing COVID didn't hit and I knew that that I would be okay and I would need to make a certain amount, et cetera. I was able to forecast really. That's fantastic. So you hand in your your form. You've, you've got your 28 days notice. You know, you don't even hand in a form. Do you know what's really sad? You do it on a computer and nobody even knows. It literally took me two seconds on a computer. I resign. That's it. No contact from anybody. How did you feel when you when – you t- I know how I felt when I retired, but I'd, I'd done my 30. How did you feel when you – hit that that button and nobody came back to you and said look we're sorry you're going I was really sad really sad to be doing it I you know I'm very passionate still about the job I love the people that work for the police I love what they're doing you know a police officer is one of the most important jobs in the UK yeah they keep us safe if the public knew the horror that people that police officers have to see and deal with they, they'd never sleep so I totally, I have so much respect, but um, handing in my resignation, I was really emotional on that day. Um, it's a long time. Mm-hmm. It's my family. I'm giving up everything. Uh, but then not having any feedback back made me realise that it was the right decision. I'm not anything to anybody apart from the closest team members. You're, not, you're literally, you're, not, you're a number. That's how I felt. And I had no contacts. My sergeant messages uh, messaged me. Um, I was working from home at that time because it was just during that COVID. So we we weren't working from home, but it was a base. We were going in yeah, and yeah. out and seeing everybody everywhere. But it was our base. Um, and she messaged me. And then um, she was off sick um, during that particular time. And then it was literally nothing. Nobody wrong to say, why are you leaving um, 17 and a half years service, never been in any trouble. And is this is this is West Midlands Police Service. This is one of the biggest police services in the country and not one person could take the time to phone you up and say, Faye, why are you going? What can we do to yeah. make you want to stay? That's amazing. Yeah. And then I had a letter the week before I was due to leave just to say um, – uh, can I make sure I hand my radios back in and can I remember that I've signed the uh, the Secrecy Act, yeah. whatever. And that was it. That was it. Nothing, literally nothing else. No cup so of really tea. Bad, really. No, no cup of tea. No, thanks no. so much for all you've done. And I don't expect brass bands, but you do expect a company that is meant to care about people or a service that's meant to care about their staff just to take two minutes of the time to say, where did we go wrong? What can we do? Because 
that, you know, I'm I'm not the first. This must be happening regularly to oh. officers. Um, you know, they will get to a point, I believe, where they'll go, oh, my God, where do we go wrong? But the police are hemorrhaging staff on a daily yeah. basis. People have had an absolute gutful of the the lack of support right through. You know, if you look at the population of the UK, the police service are underrepresented. Yeah. And they can't provide a service because they haven't got sufficient numbers. They need to have that support. Yeah. That's a, that is a real shame. I, I, how long have you been out now? Um, 18 months. Uh, two years um, next January, yeah, so about 18 months. Hmm, and a... I love it. Yeah, so what what are you doing now? I mean, you you, you love it. You've you set up a, a travel industry. Yeah. How did you get involved in that? Well, travel, obviously, being a, an ex-elf, um, has <laughs> uh, always, <laughs> always been a huge part of my heart. I love travel. Always I have done. Always I'm looking at holidays, where I want to go, what I want to do next. Um, and I'd looked at this business before COVID, and then obviously COVID happened, and I thought, right, I've just got to sit where I am and hold it out. And then um, just um. I, Ended up having a look one night and saw it and saw the opportunity. And it's a franchise business. So when you start a franchise business, you have to put money up front um, and managed to raise the money. I thought, I'm just going to go with it. I had a conversation with my husband and he was all for it. He's um, a police officer as well. And um, I spoke to my dad, who my dad would probably be the one who would dampen the flames of of something and drag you back into the real world. And he actually said to me, just go for it, get at the police and just go for it. Um, and, uh, and I did, and I love it. And I didn't want to, I'd obviously got the photography business, but I didn't want to take more weddings on because I have a young family and I, you have to commit and you have to put your heart and soul mm. into that. And it's lots of weekends. Um, and I wanted to travel more. So I do both of them now. I do the wedding photography, pick and choose which ones I want to do when I'm available. And then I do the travel as well, looking for different types of holidays. And, do you know, when you feel like you've won the lottery, that's what I feel like. I feel, yeah, it's great. And, it, and it's working for you. As well. And it's it's working for you as, as a, as a um, lifestyle, as a business. It's working for you, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, 100%. I feel happier. I feel healthier. Don't get me wrong, it's hard work. But when you're in the police, you work hard. It's no different. Um, it's scary at times when you know you've got to make your own money, you're bringing in your own money. Um, but I think I don't think I've ever worked as hard as I have in the last two years. But it feels different. Yeah. If I was doing... As many hours as what I'm doing now, if I would be on shift, I would be an absolute mess. But I'm doing this for myself and I love it and it feels very, very different. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, when you run your own business, it, it is hard work and you never actually you never actually have a day off. Even if you go on holiday, you don't yeah. you don't have a day off when you've got your own business. But it's a it's a choice that we make. I I Personally, I couldn't go back and work for somebody where I've got to ask for a day off. That's why I do what I do. 
And of course, you've just joined X Job Services, for which I'm very, very grateful. It's um, it, it's our repository for really nice people like yourself. So, uh, yeah, it's cool. And what sort of destinations are people heading to at the moment through you? Um, it's all different. People are what I feel like when um COVID happened. I think as we've come out of it, I think people have started to make real life changing decisions as I did with my job, but they um, want to travel more without a doubt. Yeah, want definitely. to do different types of holidays. So more kind of twin center holidays, staying in one place feels like it's just not good enough for a lot of people. They want to visit somewhere and then go to another place. So, um, and also places like um, holidays, like cruising is becoming really, really popular. But um over say during um this particular time um so during the summer holidays we're getting lots of greece lots of um mainland spain um turkey's becoming extremely popular and then we've got places that are up and coming such as slovenia uh, which looks great mm. absolutely beautiful and then you further fields that are really coming in probably as good a price as what a good holiday in Europe is coming in. So places like Mauritius and Thailand, yeah, it's great. I could go on for days and days. Lovely, lovely. And you've got your you've got your website, and the, all yeah. all all the links to your social media and your websites will be in the body of the text that's attached to this podcast. The future's buoyant for you, isn't it, Faye? I mean, you you're really enjoying life, and you. You've got no regrets whatsoever, have you, about leaving the police service? I don't have any regrets whatsoever. No, no, no regrets whatsoever. And I think when you when you come out, it's only now that you start to wake up um, and you realise what you actually are quite capable of, capable of. I think that when you're in the police, you you can kind of become in this little box. And I'm on my second business now and I know that I'm building this. And then I know that there's a couple of other ideas that are going around in my head that I want to explore, that I want to um, look at. And if I was in the police, all that wouldn't be happening. No. You know, you can't, you, you can't be free. And when you come out, you have a real understanding of what that freedom is. It just open so many doors it's it's really scary it takes a long time to get used to but it is really really worth it but do you know the real scary thing for me is that we need phase in the police service mm. we need to have people that are motivated that are forward thinking that can deal with all types of issues and if we keep hemorrhaging the numbers that we're hemorrhaging within the british police service we will have nothing, and and what will happen is, private industry will take on the policing of the streets of the United Kingdom. We're already yeah. seeing it. There are already companies out there that are patrolling the streets of Central London and beyond, and it's putting the onus, the payment onto other people. Yeah, and I agree. And also, I think when there's somebody like me that comes out and makes things work and then 
I would like to think inspires somebody else that's been unhappy in that position that I am and inspires them to come out, there will be a huge problem that, you know, because there's so much support now. So many people like, you know, like the X job, um, um, the group that you run. And there's lots of Facebook groups that people Mm. are running where um, ex police officers are showing that you can be successful outside of the police. And I think you really you're you're absolutely right but you don't have to spend a huge amount of money to do it to you know to get involved in these different groups there's some people that charge yeah. i mean which is counter me if i'm perfectly honest with you yeah if we go back to your restorative justice area where talking to somebody to find out what went wrong and why they did certain things if a chief officer from the West Midlands Police said, do you know what, Faye, I really want to talk to you now, how would you feel about that? I'd love to have a conversation. I'd be really happy to have a conversation. That's, you know, that's interesting. help. Yeah, because they need to understand. And, you know, the Home Sec and all the, the policing minister and all that, they need to understand that we need you. You know, we need... We need people that have been in 17 years to stay for that bit longer to to guide the youngsters through because we're going to get, I can't remember the, the figures, but they, they someone's telling me, it's, I don't know, 60% of the, the staff in four years' time will, will have less than five years in the job. Yeah. Where, where do you get your experience I remember, from? I remember when I was young in service and there, there wasn't, you know, many people that hadn't got like 20, 25 years. We learned so much from them. We learned, we learned policing from them. Yeah. You know, and that's what I carried through. And that's how I worked throughout the whole of my career. It was the old sweats. They taught us the real business. Yeah. They taught us how to deal with stuff outside the classroom. They taught how uh, us how to, you know, not to carry the stress and the, um, and to use humour to help you through, um, and all of that has just gone. Yeah, which is sad. It's died a death, but yeah, it's sad. Well, look, I say it to everybody that comes here. But have you got anything you'd like to add, alter, or correct in relation to the statement that you've made today? I would just like to say one thing to anybody that is unhappy in the police that there are options out there. You don't have to sit and wait. Life is too short. Be brave. Get out and see what's available. Talk to people, network, and really understand all the skills that you've learned within the police are like gold dust outside the police, and you can do it. And that's probably what I'd really love to tell people that are in the police at the moment. You're an absolute star, and they are the ones that can make the change. We can't do it for them, can we? No, absolutely no. Faye, thank you so much for your time today. It's been brilliant. We normally get the people that have done thirty years and they've gone on to do that, you know, which is which is really cool. But to have somebody that has made that change in their life for that, I'm really grateful. So thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me.